Get out! But, but, uh, sire, it's a big hit. Uh, the whole village is singing it. Oh, they are, are they? Well, they'll be singing a different tune. What you are about to hear is a labor of love. Our love is for the music, and the music is for the people. We at Rockstrex10 and cnjradio.com have always recommended that any music we promote on our shows be legally purchased, downloaded, and or streamed. We feel this way not only for our network of shows, but for all music-based shows. By supporting the artist in this way, more music can be created and the industry as a whole can prosper. The music is owned by their respective labels, or hopefully by the artists themselves. This broadcast is owned by cnjradio.com. Our only mission is to promote the music we love and promote the legal purchase of it. Enjoy the show and turn it up. Welcome to Rock Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, especially if you're doing it at the central station of cnjradio.com. Okay, you have made it. I have made it. We have all made it to part eight of eight. The 10 best, in my opinion, of the top 80 albums of the year 1973. Thanks for being a part of this with me. It's been a blast to go through these hundreds of records that I listened to prior to whittling it down to 80. And I feel like that was me showing a lot of restraint, but I did it. And I'm here to bring you what I consider to be the 10 best albums of 1973. I ranked them scientifically by the point system obviously as well as putting some personal preference and possibly some nostalgia into this as we all do when we rank countdowns and just tell you what our personal favorite albums are of all time but i know these in my opinion to be the 10 best albums of 1973 it's coming in at number 10 right here one of my favorite artists of all time but even i recognize that he may not do that great and all the overall rankings of some of these countdowns because he's got such a massive catalog that even I as a fan, he doesn't make records for me all the time. But around this time, around 1973, if you had to say that this artist, this very divisive artist, was putting out his most accessible stuff, talking about Frank Zappa, and technically this album that comes in here at number 10 is technically a Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention record because he was also working on a solo album pretty much simultaneously. But yes, Frank Zappa comes in here at number 10. And like I said, one of his most accessible albums of all time, Overnight Sensation. Spell it N-I-T-E, by the way, in case you're going to look it up later. But a lot of the reasons why people call this one of the best Frank Zappa albums of all time is that Somehow he managed to get everything that he's known for packed into one record. This record truly does have it all for all the things that he's known for, whether it's jazz, jazz rock, fusion, comedy, experimental stuff, guitar solo rock, 
witty lyrics, whether it's humorous or not. And a little bit of shitty dude stuff, let's be honest. But yes, uh, but like I said a few episodes ago, the top half of this countdown, I would recommend listening to these albums top to bottom. And I, as much of a Zappa fan as I am, once again, I don't know if I would score a lot of his albums at 100%, but I scored this one at 100%. Every song in here is great, in my opinion. And the song I'm going to use to represent this record has always been one of my favorite Frank Zappa songs of all time. First time I heard it was a bunch of different live versions of it, and the live versions are great as well. But it's really cool on record, too. It's just super cool. Not too out there, but just weird enough to be a classic Zappa song. So, from Overnight Sensation, this is Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention with Zombie Woof. Thank you. 
Much like the great Mark Boland returned after his entry with T-Rex on our countdown early on, he came back for album number 20, making a cameo on the ELO record on that song, Ma 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 Bell. And someone else you heard earlier in the countdown, Tina Turner. Yes, that's Tina Turner in the background right there. You can hear it clear as day, though. That's her and the Iquettes. They sang on most of the record, but they were not credited at the time due to Ike Turner stepping in, not wanting to be involved with this material. But of course, the girls did get paid at least at the end of the day, and that's nice. But yes, Zombie Woof right there. And speaking of people singing on that track, yeah, Frank sings on that, Tina sings on that, and this guy got to give it up for Ricky Lancelotti. Really killer vocal on there, sounding like a demented Wolfman Jack or something like that. That's what I get out of it, at least. But I love that track there. Zombie Wolf from Overnight Sensation. Arguably the best Frank Zappa album, at least one of the best. We'll say it's in the top three to five. That's a safe assumption. Okay, coming in at number nine over here. And I love this album. I was super surprised that it did not land in the top five. But at the same time... There's a little bit of a dud in the middle of the record, which really hurts it and hurts the flow of it for me. But overall, it is one of the greatest albums by one of my favorite bands of all time. A lot of Joey's personal favorite Hall of Famers in this episode. Of course, you would expect that. Yes, number nine belongs to the Beach Boys. In 1973, after just a little over a decade in the business, they put out their 19th studio album called Holland. And I've said this before, I said it on last year's countdown probably and a few other episodes, I'm sure. But the Beach Boys did their best stuff when nobody was looking and nobody was paying attention. The the stuff they did between 67 and 73, some of the best music I've ever heard for sure. And you should check all of that time period out. It's some of the best music ever. And being honest, really, you go 65 to 73 with the Beach Boys. A couple of the albums before Pet Sounds then Pet Sounds, and Smile, and then all the stuff between 67 and 73. And it finishes off the end of an era with this album, Holland. And it's called Holland because it was actually recorded in Holland. (laughs) They moved out there to just get away from all the distractions. They moved all their families out there. They worked on this record. They spent a lot of money doing that move, building a board from scratch. Kind of unnecessary in a sense, but we got an amazing record out of it. Uh, So why not? Came out the first week of January of 73, self-produced. I know basically uh, Carl Wilson is the leader of the band at this point, and they're leaning on their manager, Jack Riley, a lot, who's had a lot of input with the band as well. Like I said, I can't say enough nice things about this record. In a weird case of marketing strategy, which this is almost like anti-marketing if you ask me, but they packed in a 45 record along with the album, which is a uh, like a 15-minute fairy tale that Brian wrote that their manager Jack Riley narrated called Mount Vernon and Fairway. It's uh, interesting, let's just say. It's uh, only from the brain of Brian Wilson, let me tell you. But yeah, whether or not you listen to Mount Vernon and Fairway or not is inconsequential to me. You should definitely listen to the Holland record. 
uh, super hard to pick a song. I, I gotta tell you, I, uh, I struggled because I want to play most of this record for you. We're continuing on with the guys from The Flame, Ricky Fatar and Blondie Chaplin. Blondie, just one of my favorite singers ever. The one song you may have heard from this, if you've heard anything, is Sail on Sailor. It's on a good amount of their best ofs. It's been featured in a few movies. Uh, there's one of Carl Wilson's best vocals of all time in The Traitor. I can't believe I'm not playing that. I'm going with this one. I'm The one that really got me on this listen was the one I was going to go with, so I'm sticking with that decision. So, to represent the Holland album, this is the Beach Boys with the great Blondie Chaplin on lead vocals, and this is Leaving This Town. Sometimes it's hard 
Beach Boys right there, leaving this town from Holland. Go check it out. I said enough about it, but yes. Going hand in hand with the Beach Boys is, of course, the Beatles. We think about them side by side and or in versus mode. But in 1973, it wasn't the Beatles versus the Beach Boys anymore, although the Beach Boys would have to contend with basically four different Beatles on their own in chart positioning. But in 1973, this Beatle just edged out the Beach Boys on this chart of mine. But to be fair, this guy put out his best album of all time. I'm just going to put it right out there. Paul McCartney, along with Wings, turning in his best album ever, right at the tail end of 1973 on December 5th, an album that he self-produced. And it's just one of those moments in time. This is a perfect album. It's a 100-pointer for sure. And also, like I've said a few times on this countdown, we in America definitely got the better version of this album here, Band on the Run, because on the odds and ends of 73 earlier, I played Helen Wheels, which we got on our version. You guys didn't get it over there in the UK because it was a single over there. They don't put singles on albums for the most part, which is sad because I've always known that record with Helen Wheels on there. So I actually scored it that way. It didn't matter, though. Even if you take it off or on, it's still 100 points no matter what. But just on principle and emotionally, Helen Wheels is a part of my version of Band on the Run. Uh, but yeah, it, it's McCartney's best album. What else can you say? Especially whether as a pure solo artist or with wings, it's his best album that he's done without the Beatles. So there's not much else to say. You need this record. You must own this record. It is... It's great. I'm really happy that, you know, when I went to go see McCartney uh, quite a few years ago, I guess like seven years ago at this point, maybe a little less, I don't know. But we went and saw him in Shreveport at a little arena, and it was just amazing. And he actually played most of this record. Like, it wasn't just Band on the Run and Jet, uh, but he also played like 1985, which is pretty amazing. Like, I was like, wow, he's actually doing that one. And I think he also did Bluebird. I'm not sure. I don't remember. I'll have to check the set list. He played so many songs that night. But this one's always going to be my favorite off the record. If I had to pick one, it's this one right here. Just one of the great, great songs ever. So, to represent the great band on the run, this is Paul McCartney with Let Me Roll It.
coming in at number eight here on the top 80 albums of 1973. That was Paul McCartney and Wings with Let Me Roll It. Man, Band on the Run. Perfect, perfect album. Okay, here's a new perfect album here for old Joey. And I will admit, I had never heard this album top to bottom prior to doing this countdown. So this is kind of the, the debut on the charts here for me. Would not have anticipated this, and I am a fan of this band, but I didn't realize how big of a fan I was until this record came into my life. Wow. And you've already heard this band on the countdown. They had an album out prior to this, but the one that they put out at the end of the year, at least in Europe, it came out technically in November of 1973. We actually didn't get it in the States until earlier in 74. But I'm counting it as a 73 record just to kind of put over the fact of how great this album is, that it is in this company and it belongs to be up here with some of the great albums of all time. When I first heard, I was like, wow, is this a perfect album? I was like, no, it's got the new car smell on it. Let me uh, take it out for a few more spins, see what happens once it settles in. I listened to it multiple times and I couldn't find anything wrong with it. It almost just barely edges out not being an odd and in because out of the eight songs on the record, three of them are covers, but this is still a real solid original studio album. And by the way, the covers, it's like, what the fuck? They're covering Little Feet, Joni Mitchell, and Bob Dylan, and it still manages the freaking rule. That's like the stuff that Judas Priest was doing for a living. So yes, Coming in at number seven right here is the fourth studio album by Nazareth. Yes, Nazareth crashing into the number seven slot with a bullet with this album right here, Loud and Proud. Hell, even the album cover is great. It's got a a peacock on there spreading its back tail feather and just like looks like it's just doing like a big primal scream. (laughs) Everything about this album is great. This is one of the greatest rock and roll albums I've ever heard. You just put it on and turn it the fuck up. It is so good. And I was talking about how there's a handful of covers on here that rule. The first time I heard this song that I'm about to play for you, I definitely heard it as a cover. I heard it via Michael Monroe, one of my favorite singers of all time. And uh, Michael, like many of his other contemporaries and people that also were influenced by him, people like Axl Rose and Tom Kiefer and stuff like that, you know that they definitely worship at the vocal altar of Dan McCafferty. I mean, this guy was one of a kind, often imitated, and I'll say decently duplicated. There was only one Dan McCafferty, that's for sure. And the whole freaking band on this record, Manny Charlton, Pete Agnew, and Daryl Sweet, just, oh, man, what a record. Run, Don't Walk to get this album. Loud and Proud, Nazareth. So here's the song in question that I teased. First time I heard it was by Michael Monroe, and apparently he loved the song so much that he even called his solo album this. Here is Not Faking It.
There you have it, Not Faking It by Nazareth. And they definitely weren't right there with that album, Loud and Proud. I failed to mention before the song, uh, Roger Glover of Deep Purple returned to produce that record. And he produced that really cool record, Razmanaz, as well. But man, Loud and Proud, that's got to be their best album. I I mean, there's no way it's not. It's a 100-pointer. It's a perfect album for me, at least. So I hope if you've never heard more than two Nazareth songs and never heard a full album of theirs, go get on that one right away. Stat. Okay, coming in at number six right here. We're almost into the top five, and I've played you some amazing stuff here. And the fact that this guy didn't make the top five and almost came in at number one last year, I went ahead and put him at number two for the 72 countdown. But he comes in here with a really, really strong record. Not as good as his previous, but it's also a damn near perfect album, I will say. Coming at number six here is the late, great, iconic David Bowie with his sixth studio album called Aladdin Sane. Probably his most popular album cover of all time, I will say. I mean, that's the ultimate in Bowie imagery right there, the lightning bolt face. He's still on a Spiders from Mars era, so all the guys are back for this one. They would hang on for a couple more records before he would break up the band. Which is so sad because, I mean, this run right here, the Ziggy run, it's just, it's legendary. It's one of the great runs of all time. And once again, saying that Aladdin Sane isn't as good as Ziggy Stardust is not disparaging the album in any way. It's just slightly under perfection, but definitely good enough to get in here at number six. Some of my favorite Bowie songs of all time are definitely on this record. Uh, For me overall, it was between Cracked Actor and this one right here. The opening track on the record one of the coolest songs ever put on tape. This is Watch That Man.
coming in at number six on the countdown. It's Bowie, along with the Spiders from Mars, Aladdin Sane, and that was Watch That Man, the opening track on the record. What a great, great, great record. And another great record, one of my Desert Island albums, I would say. If I had a top 20, this easily goes on like my top 20 or 30 on my Desert Island. I haven't committed the rest of that list. You've heard my top 10, but this one right here is up there for sure. And I think the only thing that kept it out of like the top three, let's say, is I think just slightly, slightly towards the end of the album, it kind of runs out of a little bit of gas because that fourth side of the vinyl, the first three songs on there are perfect. And the other two, they just don't match up to those songs. So it almost suffers from being almost too great in a sense at the end. But like I've said about a few bands you've already heard in this top 20, this is easily this man's best album in my opinion. The seventh and best album by Elton John comes in here at number five. The double album, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. I mean, that, yeah, so on principle, has to be considered one of the greatest double albums of all time. It is tremendous, borderline genius, just a mastercraft in songwriting what Bernie and Elton did on this record. It's, it's a thing of beauty, and the band is killer. It's just... Everything about this album works. Like, it's 99 out of 100. So happy that I've heard, like, over half of this album live the one time I saw them, and I had to leave it at that because it wasn't going to get any better than that for sure. There's just so many damn songs to talk about on this record. It, not even just the ones you've heard. Title track, of course, great. Classic. I always feel like the title track is too short. It feels like it's a minute and a half long, but it's like three and a half minutes. Candle in the Wind, Benny and the Jets, Saturday Night's Alright for Fighting. This is iconic stuff. But some of the other stuff on here is just as good. Some of my favorite Elton songs ever. It's just You Can't Twist, But You Can Rock and Roll. Roy Rogers. It's just, it, God, it's just so freaking good. I'm going to go with this one right here. Just because feeling it right now. Let's slow things down a little bit with this amazing, amazing ballad. This is... I've seen that movie too. Thank you. 
Getting us into the top five here with the best albums of 1973. That was Elton John from his best album, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. And that was, I've seen that movie too. In case that title has a little bit of familiarity to you, if you can't quite place it, let me just say, I'll be out the door before you wake. Nothing new to you. And I think we've seen that movie too. And that's definitely inspired by that song right there. I've even... Seen that confirmed, but yes. Hope you enjoyed that. And speaking of movies, I'm going to give you a little treat right here. Returning to the show, but always number one in our hearts, is the C of CNJ Radio, my best friend and brother, Chris. Chris has returned to the show for something very special because, I don't know about you, but me personally, I feel like 70s cinema was a thing of beauty. There's so much to be had there. And so we're just getting into the nitty gritty of the decade. The music's peaking. So I asked Chris if he wouldn't mind coming on the show here and letting us know what he thinks are the best movies of 1973. So without further ado, take it away, Chris. Hello and welcome to the movie segment of this countdown of the best music from 1973. My name is Chris, and you might recognize my voice from the CNJ Radio podcast, The Wrestling House Show, The Last Theater, and even a few episodes of Rock Strikes 10. I am here to present the top 10 best movies from 1973. Well, I'm here to present my favorite 10 movies from 1973, and they just so happen to be 10 of the best of the year. Now, those of you who know me know I love horror. In my day job, I make a living writing about horror movies for creepycatalog.com, but for this list, I didn't want to limit myself to only horror movies. But yeah, there is still a lot of horror on this list too, which leads me to my 10th favorite movie of 1973, the quintessential folk horror movie, The Wicker Man. If you've never seen it, or if you've only seen the Nicolas Cage remake, then you should definitely check it out. It has a good mystery about a police sergeant going to an isolated Scottish island to search for a missing girl. The movie is just weird enough to have you shaking your head in wonder from time to time. And you have Christopher Lee as the leader of a pagan cult. It's great. Coming in at number 9 is the sci-fi classic Soylent Green. This is a movie that I knew about since forever. Everybody knows the line, Soylent Green is people. But I didn't actually sit down and watch it until about 5-10 years ago, probably. My favorite Charlton Heston movie will probably always be The Omega Man, but Soylent Green is right up there for me as what I would consider a staple of the dystopian sci-fi genre. My 8th favorite movie of 1973 is the blaxploitation horror movie Scream Blackula Scream. I actually do enjoy this more than the original Blackula from the previous year, And I won't deny that a lot of that probably has to do with Pam Greer being added to the cast for this sequel. I'll even go on record as saying Scream Blackula Scream is the best blaxploitation horror movie of any year. For number 7 we head to Japan, which is one of my favorite countries for film. And my 7th favorite movie of 1973 is the 5th movie of the Lone Wolf and Cub series. And the full title of this movie is Lone Wolf and Cub... Baby Cart in the Land of Demons. 
The Lone Wolf and Cub series, if you've never seen it, is based on the 1970s manga series about a disgraced executioner who becomes an assassin who wanders the land with his baby boy. All of the movies are fantastic. It's over-the-top martial arts and sword fighting with blood and violence and a stoic leading man pushing around this weaponized baby cart. It is amazing. But we go back to horror for number six on this list with the psychological horror classic Don't Look Now. The movie is great and it's disturbing and the finale is one that will surely stick with you for the rest of your life once you see it. If you don't know what happens at the end, do not look it up. Just don't look and just go watch the movie right now. Number five comes from another of my favorite genres, which I don't really talk about all that much, westerns. This pick is High Plains Drifter, starring and directed by Clint Eastwood. I really like High Plains Drifter because it's one of the darker westerns of its time. At least, that's how I remember it. Eastwood plays a variation of the nameless stranger archetype that he became known for, but in this American western, he's more vicious than he was in the Italian westerns that he became associated with in the 1960s. Next at number four is one of my favorite haunted house movies ever, The Legend of Hell House. Roddy McDowell stars in it, and he is brilliant, as always, as a psychic who is part of a group investigating a notoriously dangerous haunted house. The premise doesn't sound terribly original, I know, but the way the haunting is presented throughout the movie still creeps me out. I also love the finale when the secret of the house is finally revealed. I don't want to go into it too much, but it is scary stuff. There's also a scene with a black cat that is absolutely ridiculous, but I won't spoil that here. Number three, kind of like Soylent Green, is another movie that I saw for the first time just within the last few years. It is the Japanese revenge movie Lady Snowblood. It is an absolutely gorgeous movie about a woman who dedicates her entire life, like from birth, to getting revenge on the people who assaulted her mother and killed her brother and father. The final fight sequence is legendary in cinema, and if you've seen Kill Bill Volume 1, then you'll recognize the obvious influence that Lady Snowblood had on the fight between the bride and Oren Ishii. Lady Snowblood is easily one of the best revenge movies ever. Number two is likely the best demonic possession movie ever, or at least the most influential possession movie. My second favorite movie of 1973 is The Exorcist. I first saw The Exorcist when I was pretty young, maybe too young, maybe not, but hearing scratching noises, like in the attic from the movie, still creeps me out to this day. So if there's like a light breeze and branches scratch up against the window, I get a little bit of a chill sometimes. The Exorcist is just a perfectly made horror movie. And speaking of perfect, my number one favorite movie of 1973 is the perfect martial arts movie, Enter the Dragon. I've been a fan of Bruce Lee ever since I can remember, and Enter the Dragon is a fantastic movie, and it is kind of a sad reminder of the even greater heights that Bruce Lee could have reached if his life hadn't been cut short. Plus, in the movie, you have two of my favorite character actors, John Saxon and Bolo Young, iconic fight scenes, and Bruce being more Bruce Lee than ever before. I love Enter the Dragon, and I don't know why, but I don't watch it often enough, so I may watch that tonight. But you've heard enough of me talking, so I'll now pass it back over to Joey so you can get back to the music. I am curious, though. Joey, what's your favorite movie of 1973? All right, Chris, thank you so much for that. Wow. And so, full disclosure, I just listened to that for the first time, basically, as you are listening to this for the first time. 
I dropped it in as I'm doing this show for you people out here, for my friends. So to answer the question that my best friend just laid on me right there, wow. So a lot of those I have seen and I would absolutely agree with. I am a little embarrassed that I didn't realize that some of those movies were actually from 1973. And I did a little bit of homework too. Yeah, like putting those intros together and stuff like that. And I used Enter the Dragon and I used The Exorcist. Those are top. I, I can't believe I didn't realize The Wicker Man came out in 73. And he's right. And basically anything that Chris says is law. You think you watch a lot of movies. Chris watches pretty much all the movies. So listen to what he says. Go watch all those movies. And I haven't seen some of those myself. And I will definitely be checking those out. And by the way, he's totally right about Scream Blackula Scream being the best of the two. And the best horror black exploitation movie ever. So I massively agree with that. Love that series. But the second one is the best. If I had to make a snap decision right away... I would say that my favorite movie of 73 is The Exorcist, but I will put in an honorable mention for two movies that he did not have on his list, and I'm assuming if I allowed him to do a top 20, they would be on here. I'm, I'm just uh, speculating. But two movies that I absolutely love also from 1973 besides The Exorcist would be The Mac, which is a, one of the great black exploitation movies of all time. Max Julian, Carol Speed, Richard Pryor. See that movie. It's great. And what might be my favorite animated movie of all time, or at least my personal favorite on the Disney front, Robin Hood. And I can't believe it came out in 73. That seems late for such a classic, but that is my favorite, especially of the classic Disney along with Jungle Book. But yes, that's my other favorite movie of 1973. So my top three I have to commit, but I will say Chris's number two is my number one, Exorcist for sure. So Thank you so much for that, and I'm glad you put that plug in, but I'm going to replug here. Check out all of Chris's writings about horror movies especially, but also horror-adjacent stuff on creepycatalog.com. You can search them when you go on there, and it's a lot of writing that is well worth your time. Very entertaining stuff, and I would say that even if I didn't know the guy. So thanks again for coming on the big Top 80 Albums Countdown of 1973, Chris. It was a lot of fun and a big honor having you on here. Thanks again, brother. Now let's return to the countdown. Coming in at number four here is a band that I think a lot of critics mostly overall have dismissed this record, saying that this band's first four records are the only records that matter. But I would definitely say it's actually the first six records. So this one is this band's fifth studio album. Came out in November of 73. Self-produced. Not only was it self-produced, it was produced, by all accounts, in a goddamn haunted castle in the middle of nowhere. It could only be Sabbath Bloody Sabbath by, of course, Black Sabbath. Yes, this is another one of those heavy metal blueprints. Heavy metal essential. You gotta have this record if you're a metal fan. Uh, it's one of those albums, I feel like, if you run into any kind of critic of heavy metal music... It put this record on, and this is an album you can definitely defend the genre as art. It just has that thing. It, anybody that can listen to this album with virgin ears, I think, would easily recognize its greatness. Just, uh, just tremendous stuff. I'm glomming about these top albums, but they are some of my favorite albums of all time. I think I've at least played the title track a couple of times on the show. So for that reason, I'm not going to go with the almighty classic, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, as great as it is. I saw here there was a blurb that was quoted by Kirk Hammett of Metallica, 
And I'm going to go ahead and play his favorite song off the record. And it's a burner for sure. So let's go ahead and do that one. Killing Yourself to Live. So turn it up. It's Black Sabbath.
Coming in at number four right here on our top albums countdown of 1973, that was Black Sabbath from the album Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, and that was Killing Yourself to Live. I mentioned The Haunted Castle. There's a lot of fun stories about that if you want to go look it up. And an earlier entry on this countdown, Yes's Tales from Topographic Oceans, was recorded in the same studio, apparently at the same time. So a lot of interesting stuff going on just in that one castle. You know, sometime around 72, 73. But yes, coming in at number three. And I gotta say, there's a decently good chance that this album may have come in one slot higher, maybe even contending for number one. Honestly, had it not been for the production. The production on this album really sours the album overall quite a bit. And unfortunately, it's thanks to the guy that came in at number six, David Bowie, who has the producer credit on the original version of Raw Power by Iggy and the Stooges. Like I said, and this is one of those things where I talked about really early on in this countdown where nostalgia plays a big factor as far as how people put their favorite list together. I mean, that's just the way it is. Obviously, I wasn't alive in 73, so I never even grew up on the original version of Raw Power Nobody ever put it in my hands. I went and bought this damn thing on my own in 1997. And I know that to be a fact because what happened was they had put out the remastered version of this album in 1997. And at that time, uh, Iggy and a lot of other people were like, let's remix this album and make it sound the way it should. So I grew up on the remasters slash remix of this album, but it's, it's a remix in a technical sense, but it doesn't like have anybody playing new stuff on it or anything. They just mixed it the way it should have been back in the day, but they were limited, I guess. So uh, for me, the definitive version of this album, and this pisses off a lot of purists, but to me, the remaster remix version is the real and definitive version and that's the one you should go get honestly there's two disc versions and two vinyl versions where it's got both mixes and you can a b m and if you do that you will know that i am right (laughs) but i did for the sake of being a purist in the sense of how i'm going to rank raw power i did rank it by the original mix so the original david bowie mix is the one i'm going for and that's the one that appears on this list here. I just wanted to give you that disclaimer on the front end. That's a lot of what I had to say about it. But at the end of the day, no matter what mix, it is one of the great albums of all time. It is just, it is what it says it is. There's no more fitting album title in the history of music ever than Raw Power, in my opinion. It's down and dirty. It is rock and roll. It is rock, rock, rock and roll. I mean, after a handful of records like the 55 Elvis record and some other stuff. I can think of. honestly, like the first Ramones record, raw power is really where it's at. If an, if a spaceship landed and they said, play me 10 rock and roll records to give me an idea what's about. Yes. I'm putting on freaking raw power. It's that good. And once again, for me personally, it's a shame that we're not going by the remastered version, but That didn't exist in 73, so even for the song that I play for you here, it's going to be the 73 mix. That being said, if you've never done either version, definitely A, B it. Listen to the original first, listen to the second one. Let me know what you think. If you've never done it, let me know. I'd love to know what you think of either version. 
It's as different as listening to pet sounds in mono or stereo, for sure. But yeah, this is a can't-miss record. No matter what song I play, I think I could get some people intrigued to listen to it. So let's go with this one right here. I like this one a lot. This is Shake Appeal. There you have it, Shake Appeal by Iggy and the Stooges. And by the way, in case you didn't know, the reason why this album is officially under the moniker Iggy and the Stooges is because it is kind of a solo album, but it's also got the Ashton Brothers from the original Stooges on there. They added James Williamson to be the guitar player on this album, so that's why it's kind of a combination of both things. So there you go. In case you didn't know that, and uh, last thing, I'll stop bitching about the mix at some point in my life. But yeah, it's it's so weird to me to hear that version because it's just like the vocals are so far up front in the mix and just not hearing that guitar cut through like a chainsaw the way it should is just really weird and lacking to me. But once again, I hope you seek out both versions. Let me know what you think. 
I love that I picked apart my third favorite album of the year, but I think you'd understand on principle why I did what I did. And I could definitely promise you 1,000%, for sure, guaranteed, I will not be bitching about the mix on these top two records because these top two records personify rock production perfection, in my opinion. So yes, coming in at album number two right here is the fifth album, and my personal favorite album by Led Zeppelin. Yes, Houses of the Holy coming in here at number two. Officially released March 28th, 1973. Produced by Jimmy Page, as Jimmy Page produced every Zeppelin album officially. I always like to give credit to the engineer because Page will go out of his way. He even said this in multiple interviews. He'd fire the engineer after every album and hire a new one because he didn't want anybody taking credit for the sound that he created. So talk about a hands-on guy. A little dicky, but hey, you know, it's it's nice to have a fresh ear on every record. I think it's not a bad idea, really. And if you're going to be the guy, the bottom line, then I get that. So, hey. But every one of the engineers, they were not hard up for work. Whether it was before or after working with Zeppelin, you never had to worry about having a job ever in your life again. And I don't know, this guy had already done tons of records for Hendrix before that. Yes, this album was engineered by Eddie Kramer, who did some of the greatest albums of all time. So, hey, good for you, Eddie. Yeah, just between the sound of the record, the imagery, the album cover, probably my number four gatefold of all time is Houses of the Holy. Let's just go with that. And the song I'm going to play for you, that's what I see when I hear this song. So there's also that. The Hypnosis album cover, I mean, this is a 10. It's a goddamn 10. It's just a perfect, perfect thing. Eight perfect songs to solidify legendary status in rock history. And the other thing that I really love, and probably what makes this my favorite Zeppelin album, and not that they didn't do this on most records, but to me, I think it has probably their lightest happy-go-lucky song, possibly, along with one of their heaviest songs of all time. So I love the get-up contrast that this album has. And the fact that those songs are back-to-back. I love it. So over there in the middle of the second side of the album, they have Jermaker on there, which, once again, love it. One of my favorite Zeppelin songs. One of my favorite songs to play on the guitar ever. And this one right here. So to represent Led Zeppelin's Houses of the Holy, it's the awesome, epic no quarter. Thank you. 
listen to a song like that, I'm like, wow, that was only number two. And I'm sure a lot of you are thinking the same thing. And yes, that was No Quarter by Led Zeppelin from Houses of the Holy, our number two album here on the top 80 albums countdown for the year 1973. And now we get to the number one album. And a lot of you may be scratching your heads, although if you're a music nerd and historian, and you've been kind of paying a little bit of attention during this countdown, you'll know that some of these artists do come back for a second entry. And yes, we have already played this artist one other time here on the countdown because not only does this artist hold the number 12 slot on this countdown, but yes, also for the second year in a row, holds the number one slot here. Yes, Alice Cooper and the original Alice Cooper group own the number one slot here for me and my top albums of 1973 with their sixth studio album, the five-star classic masterpiece, Billion Dollar Babies. Another one of those albums, there's a reason why on the average half of this album is played live to this day whenever Alice goes out on tour because it's that great. And yes, part of that Bob Ezrin run of albums that he did with the original group. Everybody deserves praise for this record. Everybody involved. It is a masterclass. And yes, it is definitely my personal favorite album of 1973. And yes, I do feel like it belongs on a list of albums such as Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, Aladdin Sane, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, Trace Ombres, what have you, Band on the Run, Houses of the Holy. It belongs on a list along with those albums. This album is that good and more. Fight me. I don't care. Yes, this album came out fittingly on my birth month, March of 1973. Once again, produced by Bob Ezrin. I could go on and on, but I have gone on and on about Alice over the years on my show. So what are you doing if you've never heard this album? You have to get it right away. And until then, I'm not going to play any of the songs that you would, if you went to see Alice tomorrow, you'd hear. So I'm not going to play any of those. Obviously, I like going deep when it comes to Alice. The hits stand on their own. They don't need my help. And even though something like Generation Landslides, one of my favorite Alice songs ever, I'm not going to play it here. I wanted a good closer. I even thought to maybe close with Hello Hooray, just because it seems to make sense. But I'm going to go with this one right here. The closing track on side one on the vinyl. Another epic, much like No Quarter. This is another one of those classic Alice Cooper group crazy kind of epic jams. It's a nice companion to like Halo of Flies, shall we say. So we're going to close things off here tonight with Unfinished Sweet.
Topping the charts here, coming in at number one on our top 80 albums countdown of 1973. Once again, repeating for the second year in a row. In 72, it was Schools Out, and in 73, it was Billion Dollar Babies by the original Alice Cooper group. And that was Unfinished Sweet. So, what else to say? If you made it through this whole countdown and all four odds and ends, then you are even a bigger friend of mine than you think you are. So I want to thank you, everybody, for tuning in to all these parts if you have. Or hell, even if you just tuned into the top ten, I appreciate it. But you should do yourself a favor and go back and check out all these great acts. So this big old 12-part 1973 extravaganza. Super spectacular. Okay, not much else to say. I'm adjectived out. I've marked out to no end here, and it's time for me to pack away the 73 records for a while. And I gotta tell you, getting these episodes recording, it's a long process. The editing takes even longer sometimes, depending on how bad I am that day. But I am massively jonesing to get into the next big countdown I got coming up. And you're gonna hear it, you know, just in about another three months or so. Gonna stay on track here, but yes... As you probably would guess, 
going to get into the best music of 1983. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I'll probably say it a lot of times once I get to those episodes, but that was like the first real year that I was like an active member of the music community. So that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm excited about it. And once again, I hope you enjoyed these episodes. I had a lot of fun here in the year 1973, but it is time to move on. Feel free to send all the feedback, tell a friend, share the show, all that fun stuff. And we're going to get into some more old school Rock Strikes 10 shows to fill the gap between countdowns, as we always do. So stay tuned and come along with me for the ride. Let's have some fun. Till then, stay tuned for my better half, Nola, with the plugs, followed by the best damn outro song in all the podcasting business. Take it away, Nola. We would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show today. You can reach us on Facebook or Twitter. We love getting messages and always do our best to respond. Every time you share our show, we give our cats Ruby and Ripley a treat. We are on Twitter at RockStrikes10, and the direct email is RockStrikes10 at gmail.com. When you search for us, the number 10 is always spelled out. If you would like to support our show financially, we do have RockStrikes10 shirts for sale. For $20, we will ship you out a high-quality, soft-as-heck, next-level branded shirt and a button. Send us an email or direct message for more details or to order. Please help us spread the word about this show and all of our other quality shows by listening, liking, subscribing, and sharing. Our official website is cnjradio.com. You can visit this site for all episodes of Rock Strikes 10 going all the way back to episode number one. While you're on cnjradio.com, check out some of these other quality shows. The Wrestling House Show, a pro wrestling podcast unlike any other. The Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions, hosted by Randy Brown, a true alternative. The Last Theater, starring Chris, where cinema's trash is treated like treasure. And the I Am Vinyl Podcast with Pete LaRussa and occasionally Joey. We also highly recommend that you check out our good friend Mark Striegel, who can now be heard exclusively on SiriusXM as part of Ozzy's Boneyard and Hair Nation. Last, but certainly not least, we would like to give an extra special thanks to the great Pete LaRussa and the band Spacebeard for the best outro song in the business. Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband to purchase their music and make sure to tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent ya. We hope you tune into the next show. Until then, have fun. Post-game show is brought to you by... Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it.